In this episode, we talk about different transitions we go through in our lives, whether those be in career, relationship, or gender expression. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Are you telling me these Ishins are trans? Bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Okay, but yeah. No, I was going to say something embarrassing. Every every transition is trans in some way. I don't know if that's true. Hmm. But I'm going to say it as if it is. Well, I mean, if you think about the definition of trans being starting as one thing and ending as another... And I guess the universe. All transitions are trans. Which means everyone is gay, as M likes to say. As I like to say. Everyone's gay. Everything they do is queer. No, everyone has queer potential Mm -hmm. that could be unlocked. That's true. And I think one way to unlock your queer potential is to do something that would involve forcing yourself to change. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Wise. Which, you know, we hate doing. Humans hate changing. Oh, yeah. Change is brutal. Change is death. Death is change. Mm-hmm. We must kill something to rebirth it. And that is not a fun process. Mm-hmm. Right, Scorpio King? <laughs> Dwayne Johnson? <laughs> Damn. Uh, I, um, when I first moved out of my parents' house, I was 17. And I was raised to believe that you shouldn't have sex until you're married. Mm. So I was not having sex at that point. Plus, I was so like, I I mean, you know, not that any other 17 year old is like figured out, but like, I just felt so distanced from like, who my true self was at that point that like, I feel like everyone could sense that <laughs> like no one like wanted anything yeah. to do with having sex with me, or at least that's how I felt. But um, yeah. No, it's wild. And then when I I did go back um, around 23 to live with my parents because I was recovering from alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Super fun. Um, I was doing cold turkey on my own. (laughs) At your parents' house. At my parents' house in uh, rural Massachusetts. Fuck. That Um, sounds really hard. Yeah, it was interesting. I I started doing... uh, That's when I became like a substitute teacher for the local like regional high school. It was like grades 7 through 12 i think that do you was not really... have to like go to school to be a teacher to do that no nope. they saw that i had two years of studying to uh art uh, just like in general um in college before dropping out for the first time and that was they're like okay great you'll you'll teach art i was like okay fuck yeah <laughs> cool no it was i never it was... knew you did that that's cool. i bet no, you're yeah. a great art teacher no honestly it was great i, I taught great I, I did other i did other stuff as well i covered for teachers and other subjects when they needed but the main thing yeah was art it was really fun i got to like learn and then teach them how to do like um stained glass and like and then there's other stuff where it was like linoleum cut print i was like oh i already know how to do that so i like just had so much fun with it. Where was this? It was in uh, Mount Greylock High School. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in, in Western Mass. Yeah, Williamstown. I lived, um, I lived close to there for a minute. Yeah, so it was interesting because there wasn't like <laughs> that. There wasn't like a big. You were in uh, the same area briefly at the same time. Yeah, before. that's really weird. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, there was a lot of um, Williamstown Theater Festival was there. Um, that's how I, I ran into. A, I was working. Actually, it was during this time. My other job was uh, one of my three jobs at the time. Um, I shouldn't have worked three jobs while recovering from alcoholism. That was an interesting choice. Um, You're just fucking setting yourself up for a great time. Yeah, yeah, super chill. Um, and I was working at this like farmers market place, uh, which was cool because I got to work with a lot of farmers directly and learned a lot about like receiving, you know, like uh, produce and meat and cheese and stuff, and how to like. I actually learned how to like fucking fillet like a salmon <laughs> cool she was crazy i don't know how to anymore but um but anyways during uh williamstown theater festival or wtf oh yeah um uh been there's been a lot of different like actors and celebrities who will come to either watch it or be in it um and one time i was working and justin long was in this store and he complained <laughs> to me that the avocados were too expensive <laughs> <laughs> That theater money is not good. Yeah, it's no. really bad. No, it's it's not cutting it. <laughs> but I was like, what about the Jeepers Creepers? What about Accepted? I know people still love Accepted. Um, 
Um, but uh, yeah, no, that was really funny. And then, yeah, being a substitute teacher was awesome. Um, actually, my younger brother was a student there at the time. And he told me recently, um, he had one of his friends over when I was visiting a few years ago. Um, and uh, they were like, oh, hey, do you want to come share a blunt with us? And I was like, yeah, that's like a dream of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, <laughs> A literal dream. <laughs> a literal dream. <laughs> and uh, this friend of his was also a student there at the time. And they told me about how, like, they all, like, them and their other friends, like, all still talk about, like, having me as a substitute teacher there and, like, how good of an experience it was. Yeah, I bet you had a really positive impact on those children's lives. Yeah, you know, I didn't really think about it at the time because, like, it's, you know, it's still hard for me to, like, view myself as anyone who could have an impact on, like, anybody. No, you have an impact on It was really, yeah, it was really interesting to, like, and really cool and meaningful to, like, learn that. And, like, I would literally have other, like, I would be in other classes and I would have kids from other classes like come into the room and tell everyone how great of a teacher I was and then like leave and say bye and I was just like see put queer people around your children yeah that's true I taught uh, Shakespeare to all of these teenagers really close to there probably at the same time you you were there Mm -hmm. but I was in um, yeah I was in Lenox Massachusetts oh yeah Mm -hmm. and I was commuting to teach uh, I was like directing co-directing Midsummer Night's Dream with 80 kids and it was and it was this really really underfunded regional high school where like everyone you know everyone like was from probably like a two-hour radius away getting like bust into this random ass location so everyone's like exhausted really really poor like just tough ass shit and and white and and on drugs um and <laughs> all the all of, like those people's like damage ass queer kids or the 80 in in our group mm-hmm. and um they were so cool they were so cool and but i kept like getting in trouble because i like you know played eminem for them it was <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is really important for you to listen you yeah. won't understand the character of puck unless you understand eminem <laughs> They're androgynous little nymphs with genius imaginations, unfortunately. Uh, and yeah, I think it really clicked for that for that fourteen-year-old actor. But you know, at what cost? Yeah. At what cost? Now I set her on to Eminem, which is not a good place to be. But it was, you know, could be worse. I shouldn't. Yeah, but I yeah I, I think I think I think teaching is really important, especially especially in your in your growing up. And like passing passing down knowledge mm-hmm. yeah completely i mean my grandfather was a teacher um he was a history teacher my dad was a history had... teacher your dad yeah briefly wow. that's he awesome had, i the rumor is he was fired for anger management issues oh that, my god that, that tracks what else wait what other things did your dad do um and then sorry to no no, no i'm just like dad i'm 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 on dad he was a uh, um history teacher a driving instructor pizza shop guy uh professional drummer wow um what else a maintenance man a contractor wow um yeah that's, that's, pretty much that's a lot of skills that's a lot of different things yeah. yeah this motherfucker can build you a house from the ground up he's like a marty rainey um, yeah that's cool. on drugs though yeah yeah marty rainy on drugs with anger <laughs> management problems yeah he can and build then, you the house but he can't foster the family that will live there with him <laughs> yeah he will not do it with his children uh and yeah no yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah he might also misplace your down payment <laughs> but anyway aka lose it f as at the off track betting <laughs> <laughs> Might might lose your down payment and move his family to another state to hang out for a while. Um, Very cool. But anyway, what about your grandfather? Your yeah. teacher? He was much more chill. <laughs> <laughs> and he loved his family. That's, <laughs> that tracks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he um, he was amazing. He lived an interesting life. He learned a lot from his experience um, as a Jew in World War II. Um, and then came back and used all of his lived experience to teach the youth at a high school in, I think, Greece, New York. Wow. Um, 
and uh yeah he was because we just had my uh like celebration of life for him and uh, my grandmother recently so i learned even more about him than i knew before um that's so cool and yeah he was like fully like beloved by his students like he was he was basically like mr feeney like he but like less of like an asshole (laughs) he he, he definitely wouldn't push himself on people the way mr feeney did (laughs) um but he was like like this sort of like yeah like this figure for a lot of people and i love that because i felt that you know from him obviously um or luckily as as his grandchild but um yeah he was he was an awesome teacher and he really showed all of us how important like not just teaching but also how important learning is Mm. and so it felt really good to be able to carry on that legacy for a short period of time when i was 23 Mm. it's cute so nikki i know that you're in a place in your career right now where you're kind of transitioning from this role of performer into having your own site and other things doing some directing and whatnot. Could you talk to us a little bit about that transition and how that came about? I still perform in a very limited capacity um, and have always enjoyed it, but it definitely like burnt me out at times. And I always knew that I wanted to have my own company because even though I was like very intertwined with some companies more than others and like appreciated what they did um there was never like a studio that did what i thought would be Mm. best (laughs) um which was like i wanted to make something that was like uh queer like a genuine queer porn um but something that had a little bit more of like a new younger vibe and I didn't really know what that would look like uh, but I started toying around with the idea of starting a site like as soon as I started doing porn so I learned how to direct and um, I kind of learned like every avenue of the industry that I could over the years I held a lot of a lot of different titles um, between working for like toy manufacturers to um, doing like more of a producer type role to writing to being a PA I kind of just wanted to do it all and made friends with the camera operators and the photographers and learned all of that as well just soaked up as much as I could Mm -hmm. on set as we do as we do I was wondering if you could talk about how you've seen the industry change in that period of you starting your company to now and how how COVID changed that and also how like queer and trans visibility has changed that and just you've you've had such a a a, a long span of time in the industry I, it would be interesting to hear like what sort of your bird's eye view of it all has been yeah um it really has changed a crazy amount um I started in 2011 so um back then everything was a lot more um divided as far as like there was the like straight porn industry that um included like your male gays lesbian porn um and then there was like the gay and trans woman sometimes included uh, side of the industry. And then there was like the queer porn world, which most people in those other two pools like didn't even know what that was. Um, And it was pretty much like if you were a straight performer working in the LA talent pool, if you did anything with a gay or trans person, it was very likely that you would get blacklisted by like agencies agencies would say like okay like if you're a guy and you fucked a trans woman you can't work with any of the girls in our agency because you're going to give them aids um and the people that i was surrounding myself with were very much like no you cannot work with trans people it will ruin your career you're already tattooed you're not getting enough bookings like there's no way until 
I got a little bit more autonomy in my career. I kind of left the nest of uh, the people that kind of got me started. Um, and I started forming my own opinions. <laughs> and now um, a lot of those people from like the generation and porn before me that are still working like who were all like massive transphobes like they all work with trans people now and hire them for their websites and it's all very intertwined and all those straight studios now have like their trans branch i would say one of the biggest changes was back then like if you entered the porn industry and it was your full-time job the studios were completely in charge of everything and if you weren't getting booked by the studios like people were generally pushed into like other forms of sex work that they probably didn't plan on getting into um and the biggest change was when platforms where you could create your own content became more popular and just shooting your own content became more popular um back then people who were being booked regularly like did not often shoot their own stuff um cameras also weren't as accessible like the good ones at least um but with the, the development of the ability to be able to shoot stuff literally on your phone and have like a ring light and be able to post it and go straight to consumer i think not only did it literally like put money directly into performers pockets but it kind of showed people that like your value has nothing to do with what the studios think or are booking you for um like all these queer performers who have started in the last couple of years are doing amazing and getting all these great big opportunities because they've proven that they can market themselves and people want to pay for it and so the studios are like oh okay and are hiring them all now as well and it's just like people are able to have a lot more autonomy in their career and stick to their boundaries because they're not taking their like one or two bookings a month and just like not getting to choose what they do um so yeah it's been great and i am loving seeing like all of these queer people from all over the country that are able to like take porn at their own pace and um, kind of tiptoe in or blast through the doors if they prefer um, without just like waiting on these bookings kind of like I did. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have an interview with my friend Arabelle. Arabelle Raphael is a Persian, French, and Tunisian adult actress. She has performed in hundreds of adult films in the last 13 years. In addition to performing, Arabelle's writing has been published in numerous anthologies and publications. In 2018, as SESTA-FOSTA became a law, Arabelle co-founded BAZ, a sex worker mutual aid organization, and co-organized the Oakland Contingent of National Protests. Arabelle and I have known each other for 10 and 11 years now. I think so. Cause I started yeah, in like 2012. Yeah. Cause I started ah, maybe even soon. Cause I started in 2010. When did you start? 2011. I think we met in 2011. Wild. Okay. Damn. So wow. yeah, we've known each other for a minute. That's awesome. Um, we met at the feminist porn awards, like a party and after party. Um, which the feminist porn awards were really sick back then. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I thought never, it was cool. I never liked you it. You never liked it. I, I never think it was cool to me because I was like 19 and fucking... Were you <laughs> was 19? My... Um, was I ni yeah, I was 19 when I started porn. Um, yeah, I was Wild. a child. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I thought it was cool because it was like my first big porn event and you were like the first person that was nice to me. Um, <laughs> that I like became kind of friends with afterwards and here we are can um, i ask i love that 
just to see like the difference between 2011 and now what could you set the scene of the feminist film awards and just tell us a story if you remember <laughs> the meet I you we have such the a moment how long but had you been in at that point only like two year no one year i guess wait 2011 so one year and I was dating like the pretty, the pretty boy, the golden boy of like queer porn at the oh, time, yeah. James yeah. Starling, who I still talk to. We're friends still. Of course. Yeah, James Starling, shout out. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. James, nice. I, didn't he win like Heartthrob of the oh, Year? Oh, he sure or some did. Shit? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, that's funny. I forgot about that part. Yeah, and we shot. Did we shoot that first time? It must have been because that was like my third scene. So we were, it was so awkward. We, so first of all, we were in, we were shooting in a space that was like this woman who was definitely trying to fuck my boyfriend. Like while we were shooting. While we were shooting, but like not very nice to me, right? She, she was this like glamorous femme. I was like, bitch, be nice. I, you're gorgeous. I would worship you. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it, it can be like that. Some competition can be. It's such a bummer. No, I mean that makes total sense. I had no idea. <laughs> very new and just like nervous to be in this like wild woman's fucking penthouse apartment um this was in toronto it was in toronto yeah um and yeah it was all very like glamorous and cool to me at the time which i got over pretty quick because <laughs> i got to la <laughs> where dreams go to die <laughs> basically and i mean um but I don't know, we've always, like, really been able to, like, talk our shit and shared a lot of values, and, like, we've always remained cool over the entire more than decade, so, like, this is one of my favorite people. Could I ask you both about sort of being out queer people in the industry and how how you supported each other and also how you kind of watched out for each other and or or just knew that the other person was there i just i'm curious about like what the what the like community inside the community was like is like but like especially at a time when you i think i'll just speak for myself like it you it can feel as a trans and queer person like you have to distance yourself from other queer and trans people in order to um in order to push forward, you have to be the only one sometimes in the room, and yet the only way you get anything done is through community. So I was just curious about how community, how queerness and community sort of in, 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 interacted with both of your careers and both of your careers together. I guess it's long-winded question. That's a good question. I mean, so I definitely like. Well, two, okay, there was a couple things. <laughs> one, I think we had a lot of like. I need to like bitch and talk and like, oh, let's yeah. go this corner and I need to just like vent this yeah. like really weird experience that just happened. I feel like I always at least like knew your like politics and your vibe and your morals and like I'm always like I can like you can't really trust anyone and I was like I definitely found like I can trust you to like not be a piece of shit. That try. Is, like, <laughs> yeah. Fucking try. Back to the thing um, I did feel like I I'm not Distancing, not distancing myself from queer people, but I definitely distanced myself from my queerness as a public persona. Yeah, there is a lot of, um, especially for femmes, there's a lot of, like, I don't know how I want to say, like, temptation to do that or, like, reason to do that, unfortunately. But, like, I mean, I had to do it, too, and I was okay yeah. with doing it for the sake of work mm -hmm. for a really long time. Um, well, I feel like there's a lot of, in the industry, I feel like entertainment industry itself, um, for specifically femme women, um, where there has to be this monetizable desire of men, and men needing to know that, oh, there's a chance. Like, there's a chance. And so, mm -hmm. a lot of times people will recommend, you know, like, yeah, you have to hide that because, like, these men have to think that you are into them in some way or yeah. could be. I mean, they do it in Hollywood, too. Exactly right. Do All the time. Industry. Exactly right. It, I mean, that was definitely, like, the case for me early on in my career. It was, like, I was very much coming into it, like, I'm gay, and I only want to work with girls. And then I realized, like, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to 
feed myself if that's what I do, so I'm gonna, mm -hmm. like, do, like, straight for pay because I was so much identifying as a lesbian at that point. Um, and fortunately, I had the some good experiences in porn that made me feel like I could identify more as queer. Um, but, yeah, I definitely felt like I had my way that I was able to market myself and have any success in the mainstream porn industry was like very much like okay she's a lesbian but she takes dick so like <laughs> there's this chance mm -hmm, exactly right exactly, so yep. it was mm -hmm. that was very much where I found the success to like keep doing porn mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. that was the key um, for I a long time I didn't want to also get Pitch. So I didn't start off in queer porn, but I did a lot of queer porn yeah, because okay. it was in community and like, and I did feel like I had to like, you know, I did want more for my career. First of all, you can't live off of queer porn. Like yeah. there's no, <laughs> you're not going to have a career. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, or maybe I shouldn't say that, but you can, you can't live off of it. How about that? Yeah. yeah. At least at this time. Maybe yeah. now if you're doing like independently produced. Yes. But yes, at this but back time, in the like, day. back then just doing like the, Four fucking queer porn studios. No, and for, and they little money. Didn't pay a lot. Yeah, yeah, because they were small. You know, I'm not even shitting on them, but, oh. but yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So like, I had to like, and because I was so, and because I came out also as I was starting my career too. I mean, oh, I was wow. like a bisexual in high school, but like none of my girlfriends wanted to fuck me. Like I still <laughs> felt like yeah, it was so rude. I mean, that is the ugh, femme for femme is so hard. So hard. <laughs> it still is. I'm still an adult, and I'm still like, I'm like, why? I'm just, one day I will find my 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 femme that is not afraid of me. <laughs> You're this femme. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like a conversation I have with other like femme attracted femmes where we're just like, fuck. <laughs> and so so yeah, I think I like really like tried to break out of that and like didn't you know didn't want to get pigeonholed and wanted more of a career. And I'm also I am into I'm. Into, to fucking everybody anyways right exactly. um so so i did for a while even though like that was always my community and that's always who i like spent my time with like i, I did that for a bit and now i'm just like god like the fucks are like slow <laughs> yeah uh, sometimes it's the, it's the last stage of like your own journey is, mm -hmm. is just getting rid of all the fucks mm -hmm. i'm going through that journey right now giving up Picking up the fucks. Picking up the fucks. Um, what song would you have played at your funeral? Oh, I actually do have this answer. <laughs> I knew you would. I don't know why. I, I wonder <laughs> why. Um, uh, Sunday, Gloomy Sunday by Diamanda Galas, because it has to be the most extra shit ever. Yeah. That was a great choice. Thank you. <laughs> I hope I hope I'm not alive for your funeral, but it sounds like it's going to be Oh, thank you. No, it would not be a dry eye. <laughs> do you have socials or anything that you want to plug before we close up shop yeah uh unfortunately i got my twitter taken away so oh, again uh, so oh, first time oh twitter oh jeez. yeah so you can find me at mommy arabelle on twitter i'm at arabelle Raphael on ig and on tiktok and on OnlyFans. Um, and I have a fun essay coming out in the, like, new, um, like, the newer print. Oh, my God, my brain is low. Uh, for Jizzly's coming, coming out like a porn star. Oh, are they doing a second edition? They're making, thank you. Oh, my God. A second edition <laughs> of it. Um, and I'll be, yeah, there's going to be, um, an essay about, like, having a public body and navigating, like, having your body on display for like most of your life <laughs> and, Amazing. and wow. working yeah, that, that sounds awesome i can't wait forward to that, that. Yeah. yeah i don't know when it comes out i know that my deadline is october so. <laughs> <laughs>
and divorce. So I am about, well, I'm not about to get married, but I am getting married in the next 11 to 14 months. Somewhere in there. Somewhere kind in of, there, maybe. For sure. Um, you were married for a while, right? How long were you married? I think by the time, from the time that it was official to the time that it was um, legally not, um, <laughs> I think it was like seven years. It's a, yeah, it's a long that's time. It's a lot. Yeah. What are things not to do <laughs> in a marriage? Should what should What should I not do in order to stay married? Or what should I do in order to survive it? Well... My number, <laughs> I feel like you will not have a hard time surviving it. I feel like you need more so tips on thriving it. Oh. I more so have tips on how to survive it slash how to not like horrendously ruin your life. Yeah, okay. Um, tips on not to, how to not horrendously ruin your life, Jules. I would say my, <laughs> my number one tip. Yeah. Is to not marry someone that you met on Instagram six weeks ago. <laughs> Check. Wow. Okay. Okay. I think, I think, in the queer world, like, especially in the lesbian realm, yeah, there's a U-hauling, um, magnetic pull. Uh, I think that. Spending some time with your spouse on any level beyond six weeks is, is it's a good start. Right. <laughs> but I can also how old were you when you got married? Uh I think twenty I think we were I think I was twenty four. Okay. I twenty two, twenty three, twenty four. I don't Okay. I don't, well I, if you're twenty two to twenty three to twenty four, six weeks is a long time. I mean that's a lot of life you've lived. <laughs> It's not like, You're saying it's all relative? It's all relative. Oh, it's all relative. True, true. The second thing I would say is to not ignore red flags. Uh, like what? Like, pay attention to your feeling. Um, <laughs> I think if you've made it past those first two steps and it's time to meet someone's parents, um, even if the person you're dating says, I hate my parents and they're crazy, um, read the room and determine whether or not you find those parents to be a true threat. <laughs> they may not be. I, like, I, I feel that people, even when they say, like, my parents are fucking crazy, no matter how hard they feel that way, self-included, the apple isn't capable of falling far from the tree. It's true. Trees don't throw apples. <laughs> <laughs> they drop them. <laughs> they fall right off and rot beneath. So um, when you meet their parents, just, you know, not to say, like, someone's going to turn out exactly like their parents, but... Um, not far. Yeah, it, it plays a role. And you should try to figure out how that is played out. I mean, someone can have crazy parents, but it ties into my fourth role, which has to do with self-awareness. And I would, I would say it's fair if you feel that someone not being in therapy is a deal breaker. Mm. I think that there is nobody on earth that couldn't in some way benefit from therapy. Mm -hmm. And if that someone feels like they refuse therapy, mm. um, especially if they've fallen from a suspicious tree, mm. <laughs> I feel like that is a fair deal breaker. Yeah, I agree. I think most deal breakers are fair. Yeah, I mean. Because it's like, you set your own boundaries. I've never had a boundary, so I <laughs> wouldn't even know what a deal breaker could be, but just sort of theoretically. I think the last 
the last marriage advice piece I can give you is um, don't tattoo one another's faces on your body. Did you do that? Nor name. Um, I did have a name, which I covered up. Um, I never have, I've never tattooed the face of a loved one. Um, has someone tattooed your face? You. <laughs> what? A loved one or a stranger? Uh, an ex-wife. Oh! Oh, come on, 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 man. What part of the body? The, f- the forearm. Oh, that's oh. a very present spot. That's like have, main have real estate. Have they gotten it zapped? They have not. <laughs> as far so as far as I've seen, um, you're still there. Do you feel like I don't know? Like, does part of you feel like it's like just chilling on that forearm, or do you feel like separated <laughs> from the image? I I've always felt very separated, fortunately, from the image because it was um, not not a super successful tattoo representation. <laughs> that was, that was going to be my next question. Was because um, it's a portrait, so that's hard. Yeah, it so it is a portrait that I don't feel super represented by, <laughs> and um, I think the fact that it was unsuccessful. Yeah, I think that the fact that that is still chilling there um, doesn't have anything to do with me. Yeah, That's punishment for her. <laughs> who who do you think it most looks like out of everyone on the earth? Uh, it looks like me if I were wearing a bat costume <laughs> and filled my cheeks with helium. Wow, that is so specific. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, we talk to my friend Daniel C. Daniel is a trans non-binary actor, musician, and artist who has worked in film, theater, and TV. They played the first recurring trans masculine role on television, appearing from 2006 to 2009 as Max in Showtime's The L Word. In 2022, C revised his role as Max for The L Word Generation Q, an episode I directed. Um, They acted in films such as John Cameron Mitchell's Short Bus and Barbara Albert's film The Dead and Living Die. As a conceptual artist, C works with interdisciplinary memoir, engaging in processes such as research-driven performance, writing, music, drawing, video, and photography. Prior to their work acting in mainstream film and TV, C came of age as an artist as part of the queer punk art and activist scenes of the San Francisco Bay Area in the 1990s. His work traverses from the queer vanguard to the mainstream, intervening on pop culture, infecting the mainstream with a political and magical queer and trans agenda. So Daniel, I first saw you on the screen of my, at the time, high school best friend's bedroom TV. Um, And I remember feeling incredibly seen by seeing you and I didn't have language for my own transness I don't even think I understood who this character on the L word was but I just remember seeing you and feeling like oh that person and I have a shared experience and I think as complicated as that show and that character are I feel like when I first met you in real life I wanted to tell you how much you had meant to me, even though we had never met before. And maybe that's a strange experience, but it's one that I feel, I know Nikki and I share um, and I've talked about and, and just wanted to kind of start our conversation by acknowledging your presence in our lives, even though we didn't know you. <laughs> um, Nikki, do you remember? Yeah, I, um, so, I was probably like 17 or so and living with my band and boyfriend at the time. And I had kind of started the slow process of coming out. And 
I was renting DVDs of the L Word from the video store up the street and like binging it and kind of like learning, learning like how to be gay, (laughs) 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 which I, we won't go there. Um, anyway, um, yeah, I can just agree with you in saying that when your character came came on, I was like, oh, okay, I'm I'm learning here. I I have a shared experience with this person that I don't quite understand. So, well put. See, for me, it's interesting because I'm not a person of a trans mass experience, and I was a little later into seeing the show. Um, so for me the relation that I saw was more to you, the person, the actor, rather than the character, and seeing this person who um, I feel like has a very similar gender journey to me in those ways. And so for me, it was interesting because it wasn't just like, um, it wasn't the character's experience. It was more like, who's this person behind that that I was feeling connected to? And so I thought, I don't know, it was very cute and very interesting to me because that was just like, I saw, I don't know, not, you know, obviously we have very different experiences, but um, I feel like in the the gender, like the gender fuckedness of life and, and everything, I just saw like a lot of myself in you specifically rather than uh, the characters. It's kind of a funny uh, juxtaposition. I mean, I would just briefly say, you know, coming coming up for me, you know, hearing from you three, I just see... I don't know how to say it, you know, coming uh, coming up in 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 punk community and uh, avant-garde community, queer community, but not the mainstream, you know, um, trans and coming through to transness with a lot of my peers and everything through the 90s and um, really alternative community long before internet or, or anything. It's like um, the only chance to understand who I was was to be reflected in those around me and be raised by them. And also being so far outside of the systems of education systems and all these things, really it was just like people around me, some of my elders or my peers, um, and eventually people younger, we just reflecting back and forth to each other who we are and like discovering together. So of course, when it, when, and when it comes to like being on TV, especially back before the streaming and before internet and everything, and then, and then, and then the, the singular, singular experience of being like the one story that was somewhat like any of our experience with transness or could kind of hint to it or something, you know, that it's problematic in a sense, because of course, shouldn't it just been one person, you know, it should maybe like be many different characters, like, you know, telling all different stories of transness and queerness and things. But, you know, there we were in this singular, you know, encounter that where I didn't know you all or see you and and you saw an image of me, which was really just says like Naomi Klein, I'm reading her book right now, Doppelganger, A Trip into the Mirror World. And I highly recommend it for everyone because now we all have these doppelgangers that are out there, like that are versions of us, but it's not us. But in some sense, it's also like, it's a it's a authentic encounter. You know, when I think of the punks and the people who, for people like Sinead O'Connor or Kathleen Hanna from Bikini Kill or different people who, when I was young, that I saw them as a possibility of ways of being, maybe not gender-wise particularly, but in terms of, you know, music and uh, punkness and speaking truth to power and all these things. So, and being authentic, and, and in my case, being also I'm neurodivergent, so um, which is something only as an older person I've known about. So that's also something that I think um, I have in common with many of my people, and it's like, yeah, the kind of authenticity is about yeah somehow that is like for me part of my transness or i don't know do you feel like the ways of talking about transness in the punk community in the 90s um and the way we talk about transness now have direct relationship or do you feel like it's changed uh or something has has been disrupted in that history i'm just totally curious well when i think of it in like a a fun way, and I'm not sure this is historically true. You know, we could ask um, different people, but since the academics are always interviewing my community to ask what happened, that I think <laughs> we could know just as much as anyone else. So I'll just speak. I'm not going to say the overall truth, but the way I see it right now is like, I just feel like it really was that. I'll, I'll, I don't always believe this, but in this case, the avant garde, the freaks, people willing to sacrifice their own comfort and ability to do things in order to really live out experimental truths of of ways of being it's it became like actual 
categories and laws and different things because of activism, but also because of people, very experimental people being like, hey, call me he, call me Zizer, call me whatever, like advocating for the, for ourselves. Um, of course, there's so much that's happened. And I always say it's like trans activists that have made it happen because that's why it, access to medical care came into um, possibility. And that's how people start to be able to do different versions of what it could be to be trans and feel more, um, yeah, be, be able to claim it. But I mean, we can always look back to Susan Stryker's work and and see, and many others, Leslie Feinberg, many others that were working at that time uh, of the 90s and earlier on, you know, of course, Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, um, yeah, Stormy De La Vri I mean, all the names. We, I would want to sit here and just name everybody. But I would also, I'm really into seeing a continuum also with like older uh, people who still identify as lesbian or butch. Um, my elders, like they may not have liked the word queer, which is what we were using, and then later trans or or used it for themselves. Um, but in some cases, like in the case of Gloria Ann Saldua, who was created the first queer gathering in 1982 in Santa Cruz. It was actually women of color from so-called lesbian or, you know, at the time, lesbian community that were starting to use words like queer and things. So all these kind of divisive thing of like, this is this and this is that. Those distinctions sometimes are important, but I think a lot of times we have to understand that language forms change and it's very like nebulous, even for our own lives, let alone in culture. So yeah, I kind of like to think that the good sides of some of the things going on in San Francisco that was very avant-garde and edgy is like kind of the main, uh, more main, mainstream way of talking about things now. I wanted to ask you about, I guess, the word transition generally, because I think especially as, um, I don't know, I move, I move into a place of no longer being the one of the one of the young baby queers anymore. <laughs> I think. I hear transition and the word around transness talked about as if it's like a set thing that happens and then it's over. Mm -hmm. And for me, uh, I feel like I'm constantly in transition and also like it's, it's cyclical and a lot of transition is like transformation and letting go of an old self and also mm -hmm. coming, returning to a sort of uh, true trueness in self. But I, I guess I'm just curious as someone, um, older than me, who I really look up to, how you see the idea of transition and transformation in your life now, um, and whether it feels connected to the same way it did when you were in the punk scene in the 90s, or whether it feels like the whole concept has changed, or, or something yeah. else entirely. I love how you talked about that right now. I'm just like, I'm glad we're recording this, <laughs> because you know, it's so, I think I just would always go back to maybe it's because of I was raised by people who were kind of in that question everything mindset, you know, um, where I felt like my commitment was always to trying to be as authentic to myself as I could and also like experimental ways of living all around. So um, I do feel like for me, being trans has a lot to do with having the um, audacity or the capacity or the um, adventurous spirit to express different sides of myself uh, as often as I want to <laughs> and to allow myself to um, access different possibilities through maybe technologies. Like I did get top surgery, which is really awesome. Um, and I don't think it's linear, but I don't also think my life is very linear. I don't seem to have plugged into like the natural or not natural, but the um, the, the preset idea of what like a life would be for someone who like me born in 1973 in Los Angeles, in this area of Los Angeles, who was like white settler descent, you know, like you're supposed to do X, Y, Z. I mean, I was almost in a way raised to like marry a man and like not even have a job. Not that anyone said that directly, but I mean, I really am from another time in a weird way. And like, so for me, anything is possible. Like, I don't know, in my sexuality, I'm definitely like pan, um, bi, pan, uh, open, you know, and I always have been. So the idea of trans being one thing, I, I don't want to say it isn't for some people because I think that it is like there's the start and beginning, beginning and end. And I mean, life does start and end. We do get older. I mean, there are concrete things happening. So, you know, 
for me, my experience, because of the time I was born, what was offer, on offer when I was in my youth and how things were framed in terms of um, transness and, and access to care and everything, you know, maybe if I was 20 today, I would be having a different uh, experience. I, I have no idea, but I can say that um, I really like having just turned 50. I like the idea that um, my transness is just who I am. I mean, I'm lucky. I, I'm not lucky, but I mean, I do. I have had like um, natural facial hair since my late teens, like that can grow pretty freely. And I've grown it many times over the last, since the early 90s. So I have some visible things to, to kind of declare physically. And I think my like jawbone, whatever, when I was younger, people often, maybe they thought I was a young man or they thought you know whatever they decided I was but I don't think my masculinity has been so invisibilized most of the time um so I don't know what that would be like if if I wasn't born with those things I can never say but you know <laughs> um yeah I think the way you described it Em, I could really resonate with that you know that it's yeah I, I, cyclical it's like a spiraling cyclical <laughs> thing like I don't know I love the the idea that transness is just possibility mm-hmm. and and like expansiveness and hope and yeah I don't know I wish we could like infuse the 90s punk spirit into today and I think maybe we can yeah I think Gen Z has picked up on that tip a little bit mm-hmm. I I have I have faith in them I and as you were saying kind of looking at younger people um for guidance and inspiration Mm -hmm. um that's totally something that i have done um and i think that they're like modern lack of fuck givingness is like very inspiring and i don't know if i would have like pursued medically transitioning if it weren't for that what song do you want played at your funeral the song I'd like to be played at my funeral is a really deep question. Um, I I think that I would like, um, well, there's a few that I can think of, but um, I'm really into uh, a lot of different kinds of music and I am a musician, but I think I would really, because sentimentally speaking, I think I would like the song A Health to the Company to be played at my funeral. I'd like, if my brother is still alive, I'd like him to sing it. It's an Irish ballad. Um, and I often sing it at the end of, of um, gatherings if I want to say goodbye to people. And, and it's like it has this refrain that says, um, we may or may, may not ever, we may or might not ever meet here again. So it's like it's that precious thing where you encounter and then you let go. And it's, it's like, like it's, it's a, a beautiful, beautiful song. song. I think that's the song I would want. I love that. That's, that's beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> I want to hear it now. Yeah, that's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah we got gorgeous. I'll sing it for you sometime. I'd love that. <laughs> An honor. Amazing. First of all, thank you so much okay. for speaking with us. It's thank literally you. always such a joy to converse with you on any topics. Um, so thank you for spending your time with us. It really means a lot. And um, yeah, we always just like to ask if you have anything that you want to plug before you go, like where people can follow you or anything you're up to that they can follow you that isn't you know uh struck at the moment yeah well um could i say i mean the main way that you can find me at the moment is my instagram but i also have a link tree on there and i'm hoping to start a sub stack in the next times like i'd or some kind of format that's beyond just only the instagram format so it can feel more free i am working on music right now so keep an eye out for um hopefully an ep coming yeah. out soon um yeah and right now i'm just studying acting i'm doing demidov uh nikolai demidov is amazing russian approach to acting which has to do with yeah trusting the trusting your inner knowing about the characters and things so that's been great um for me yeah so i guess yeah instagram it's daniel c with a little underscore i think mm-hmm. all one word and I just want to say thank you so much for having me on here. I'm just looking at your three smiling faces. And um, it's so nice to meet you, Nikki. I know we haven't met in real life, but I feel a real kinship with you as well. I appreciate you sharing some of your story. And I'm excited for your all's podcast um, to, to hear it and to follow along as it's going. Everybody should keep tuning in because these three are very brilliant people and uh, <laughs> really like artists, artists on their own right. And so to have them all together on one 
podcast, I, I'd say the audience is lucky to be able to see what kinds of stuff you all bring. And uh, I'll be looking forward to more conversations like this. Yeah. So, yeah, so keep, let's keep keep no. keeping on. And, and I just like to say it, you know, if I can be supportive to folks coming up into things like I'm here, let's all keep keep supporting each other. Um, yeah. Everyone who's listening. Hope you surrounded by love and kindness because you deserve it. <laughs> angel, a literal God angel. Damn it. Literally. So, thank you, Daniel. I'm not an angel, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
always portrayed myself as this, like, androgynous, butch-leaning top. Um, and so when people met me, I feel like I did gain, like, a really solid fan base. Um, and they all kind of knew what to expect. So I usually had, like, pretty cool people cool. recognize me. Cool. I feel like I was fortunate. One time I went to the mall, and they have those, um, like, animal... Like, it looks like a giant stuffed animal, but you can ride it. Yes. Like, the motorized oh, yes. ones. Oh, so I was so riding one of those... <laughs> in the mall and uh went past hot topic and one of the employees came out and like waved me down for a photo as i was like stopped on my purple gorilla and this like super goth hot topic guy came out and was like i can't believe i just saw nikki hartz riding a purple gorilla past the store it's like it's the best day of his life that was my favorite that's hilarious that's incredible A lesson that I learned that I over my life that I think is one that people can only learn the hard way. There's there's definitely a collection of lessons that can only truly be learned the hard way. Um, and for me, a big one was learning to be wrong, like learning that Ooh. like being okay with being wrong. Yeah. And it's really wild because like I just look back at so many experiences from my past where like I was trying to do like like the wildest mental gymnastics to try and like avoid being wrong yeah even on like small things and it's just like why are you doing like it takes it's like the whole thing of like oh it takes more energy to frown than to smile yeah. it's like it's like the same vein to me yeah and i'm like no it takes so much more energy to try and convolute you know just like this whole thing and like like kind of convince yourself that like oh no but i really was thinking this and i really meant that and it's like no, dude, just like you did or said a wrong thing and this person let you know or you realized it based on, you know, the consequences. And growing hurts and and also the trauma of your response thinking, because I don't know, some people when they did wrong stuff as a kid, mm -hmm. really outsized reactions happened. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's important for us to remember that we're not, we don't have to relive that even if mm -hmm. it feels like we do and... Not that you can click your fingers and have trauma be gone, but... No, but that's a good point, and that's a big connection, is that this whole thing, I feel like, like you were saying, is a trauma response. Yeah. yeah. And it's a learned behavior from that. And so, like, that's a huge part of learning that as well, is, like, you have to, like... You have to look... Try to try to find the source. Always yeah. try to find the source. If there's a leak, find the source. Repair the source. Yeah. Repair the leak. And that, I mean, to me, that that spans across basically every aspect of life. Um, but, and so like, it's it's been interesting, you know, the older I get watching people, God, I'm so old now, um, <laughs> watching other people, you know, who are still struggling with learning that lesson of like allowing themselves to be wrong and like watching, seeing like super clear signs of like the way it affects their life and the way it affects like even your choices. Cause now after you like, after you're so ingrained with that, you really start to like now preconceive ideas and preconceived plans in order to like make sure you're set up to not be wrong. Yeah. And, yeah. and in that, you're already like, now everything's a falsehood and like, you know. Well, it's really interesting because it, it, there's like a paradox of like, we are not responsible for other people's emotions and yet we have an effect on other people no matter what mm -hmm. we do. Mm -hmm. And we are responsible for our own effect on people. It's just a complicated thing yeah. mm -hmm. to hold at once. Yeah, no, it is. And like, that's, it's, yeah, it's a really wild part of like the human experience. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing is like, it's, it's, I mean, just like everything else, the learning process and the healing process and the unlearning process are all basically never ending. Yeah. And that's a problem that we run to a lot, I feel like, in our community, especially because a lot of people in our community see ourselves as elevated, you know, enlightened to a certain extent. <laughs> And and so in that enlightenment, they start to lose their ability to be wrong again. Because they're like, oh, but I've changed my whole perspective. I've grown so much. Mm. I've broken down. I've rebuilt. And it's like, no, bitch, we're still wrong all of the time. Yeah. And, like, we have to understand that. And we have to be okay with that. Like, just because you gain the awareness 
of being wrong and being okay with being wrong does not mean you are now always right. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yes. And that's another tough lesson. That is. And also, being right doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. Really Doing the right doesn't. thing does. Yes. But being right is no. bullshit. Being right is usually a clue that you're not doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember to share it with your gay-ass friends. Our show was recorded by Jacob Masters. Follow him at High School Jacob on Instagram. Our producer is Sophie Litlock. Check her out at Sophie's underscore art studio. Sarah McNamara was our sound engineer. Thanks to all of our guests. Please let us know what you think in the comments at Queer the Air Pod.